Hey, hey. Hello. Hi. How are you? Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm doing well, considering the apocalypse. <laughs> the apocalypse on the apocalypse. It's like... No, COVID's over. Oh, is it? It's last week. I mean, But is it actually... I haven't heard anyone talking about it. <laughs> yeah, no one cares, so everyone we might as well say it is. Stopped caring about COVID, so good. Uh, I assume I, there's no more COVID. Okay, so you've you've been working all week. <laughs> yeah, how about you? I've been working all week, but I'll be totally honest with you that much of that time uh, has been spent arguing with people on Facebook, and I fucking. <laughs> hate i hate arguing i hate facebook and i really really hate i mean a big part of the reason that i hate i hate facebook for a few reasons one the algorithm so it's just boring as fuck like i don't see anything in my feed that i want to see i see what facebook thinks i want to see which is like shit from strangers that i'm not interested in or just the same Mm -hmm. thing over and over and over again and the other reason that i hate facebook is because people on facebook are very irritating mm-hmm. and, um for whatever reason i mean i i guess people do this on twitter too but for it, it never really bothered yes. me that much on twitter but people love arguing on facebook and i find conversations and arguments on facebook to be very um irritating and unproductive mm-hmm. and it, they just sort of go on forever and go and go nowhere and people get very attached to their arguments um it's just, i mean i guess this is sort of how the internet works which is that people don't hear each other or under, understand each other at all i feel like i'm just constantly feeling like misunderstood on facebook I'm like what mm. no that's not what i meant like um and you know, I it's think- such a waste of time. And yeah, people are so mean and such assholes. And I think that people kind of, people dehumanize each other in general online, obviously, because you're not face to face. So they don't mm. see each other as human. Um, but I think people, I, I think, I don't know. I think people dehumanize people who they consider to be public figures even more so mm-hmm. because they think that you're, not a real person and that it's what you deserve because you have a platform so actually because you have a platform you deserve to be shit on even more than a regular person Mm. (laughs) which i mean there's there might be some actual validity to that because you 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 are in this position of in in my position in any case i'm in a position where my job is sort of offering my opinion or information or analysis so if you're putting your analysis and opinion out there inevitably people are going to also have an opinion and analysis of that um but i don't know i i feel sometimes that people think they have like a they have a sense of ownership over public figures or or people that they they follow online or something like that um so I just wanted to say something. I feel like with Facebook, there's a particular issue, and that is the fact that you can write paragraphs and paragraphs in response to people. Or three and comments like, at a time of paragraphs yeah. and paragraphs. And I feel like with Instagram, you've got to put a little bit more thought into a post 
And then the responses to that are quite limited. So if there's going to be like a deeper discussion, you kind of need to take it to your DMs. And that's where, you know, like one-on-one, you might get to like a different level of thinking together or at least maybe understanding one another. Where on Facebook, it's like everyone piles in. (laughs) It's like this random idea, that random idea. And it's all like essays, one after the other on top of each other. Well, and I think, and also the on Facebook, I think that if people are commenting on your post, then it starts showing up in other people's feeds. So other people yes. sort of glom on. I don't ever have conversations on Instagram. I mean, I don't really engage much on Instagram because I don't like Instagram. I mean, I don't like Facebook either. But well, that's I'm why I like Instagram. I'm a writing platform. Like, I'm not that much into the, the image stuff. And also, like, I don't like typing on my phone. So if somebody says, I'm not going to type more than a few words on my phone because it just annoys me. Mm-hmm. I think that's maybe why I like Instagram because um, I think I want to have those deeper conversations either one-on-one or in person. Um or in another format, just not on comment threads. <laughs> like, I don't want to have discussions on comment threads. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and I mean, I think people are already angry with me because I've started doing things that they don't want me to do and talking to people that they don't want me to talk to. Um, so uh, they're already mad. So at this point, people are, like, looking for more reasons to be angry at me. And it's really mm-hmm. easy to find something to be mad about if you're looking for it. And that's what I think a lot of people on Facebook do is I think they spend their days looking for things to get angry about, which seems like a sort of weird way to spend your time. Mm. But uh, that's how things go. So I don't know. I'm like annoyed at myself because it's a waste of my own time. I I can't necessarily blame other people for that. What's the main thrust of the... Uh, criticism or whatever that you're getting on Facebook. Okay, great. Because this is something that we should be talking about in this show. And I think that I advertised that we were going to talk about this. And, you know, sometimes we talk about the things that we advertise. And <laughs> often we just skip right past that stuff. <laughs> so, um, you know, so I posted a couple of things that were opposed to violent protests and rioting. Um, and violent protests, uh, what? And rioting, right? Oh, okay. So yep, yep. I was saying that I advocate nonviolent, peaceful protest. Um, mm. I don't think that violence is a solution to violence. I think that rioting is harmful to marginalized communities in particular. Mm. Um, and there's of course evidence of this. If you look at the 92 riots in LA, um, what often happens is those communities are destroyed and they can't rebuild for years and years and years. Mm. Um, shops and, and small businesses that are, uh, owned by minorities are destroyed. Some people's livelihoods are destroyed. Uh, Mm. a lot of people are really seriously hurt. People are killed. Um, I cannot support it. I cannot. Um, Mm. I don't even care if there's a greater good. In most cases, there's not a greater good. I think that we can achieve change without violence and without Mm. destroying entire communities. Mm. Um, But I am never going to support violence unless it's in self-defense. I'm not going to support, and particularly I'm not going to support male violence. And that's what's happening um, at these protests. And I should say, I, I think, or what I've heard is that 
most of these protesters are peaceful, but it yeah. sounds also like the rioting is getting much worse mm-hmm. um, and that the violence is getting worse. So there's violence coming from the cops, of course. Um, mm-hmm. And there's violence coming from these protesters or whatever, you know, uh, against individuals, uh, against journalists. Um, I mean, I've seen uh, so much video footage of people getting the shit beat out of them by, you know, like often I'm, it's not only white people. I don't want to, I, I think I fell into that trap for a while being like, Oh, it's just, it's these like white boys doing it. And you know, that's sort of like, you're, you're sort of imposing an inherent morality and, and virtuousness to people of color when you do that, which I think is racist, actually. Mm. And I'm sure it's not true. It's not true. I mean, I think probably there's a lot of white people and then I'm sure there's people of color. I'm sure there's all sorts of men. They're men. Mm. <laughs> Let's call them men. Um, looting, um, destroying shit, um, setting things on fire, uh, beating people up. And I... I I can't, you know, watching people get beat up my entire, like, I can't do it my whole life. It's very, like, seeing somebody get in a fight at school, like, I couldn't watch. I find it really upsetting. So uh, nothing's changed now. And so I posted, you know, a couple articles. One was by uh, Chris Hedges, and he interviews Derek Jensen extensively, where they talk specifically about Antifa um, and the negative impact they had on the Occupy movement and sort of, like, chaotic anarchist unstrategic violence and destruction just like wanton like just like smashing what the fuck ever and like beating up individuals who are innocent um and then posted another one from quillette um uh also advocating nonviolence and explaining that you know riots have historically had a negative impact on on marginalized Mm. communities and business and and real estate in those areas that are already struggling Mm. and he's like i always rejected the idea of white feminism and there's such a thing as a a white feminist because obviously it doesn't literally just mean a feminist who's white it has this implication that you're sort of you know racist and absorbed with your own privilege and view as a white person with white privilege um and i swear to god it was white and i was like oh either white feminism because it was just tons and tons of white feminists who are for the most part i think weren't even in the states so really weren't seeing what was going on on the ground i had either i have talking people who have been there and been watching a lot of the footage and reading about it as much as i can um but from the uk and from canada probably some from the U.S., um, just, like, raging at me and essentially implying that because I oppose violent protest, because I'm opposing this specifically male violence, um, because I'm opposed to rioting, and not because I'm, you know, necessarily saying that I don't understand what's behind it, that I don't understand the rage or I don't understand why, but that doesn't mean that the end result is good because I understand why Um, saying, you know, essentially that I was racist, that I was like anti, anti black people as if it's only black people or as if there aren't like tons and tons of black activists who are begging the looters and rioters and the the violent men to stop. Mm. Um, And who aren't also saying, you know, we want, we want peaceful protest. Um, 
and acting basically like I'm not a good leftist because mm-hmm. as far as I can tell, they want to seem uh, like the most pure leftist, the most radical leftist. And how dare you criticize this important like protest tactic? These are disenfranchised people. And I was like, I don't think they're all fucking disenfranchised people, first of all, because I'm seeing a lot of like white teenagers walking out of the van store. <laughs> like, But, you know, this is... You, again, like it's sort of it's imposing this inherent virtuousness on people of color who are just regular people like anyone else who might like want a, a TV or whatever or might feel like being violent, but also sort of assuming that all the all the like white kids and the Antifa kids who are doing it are doing it for some political reason and not just because mm-hmm. they're full of rage and want to beat someone up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I... Th- it's this has brought to mind a couple of things for me. One is like I haven't read about the most effective ways for uh, social change to happen, and there's arguments for and against uh, violence involved in those strategies, and there's evidence for and against. And I don't know it in depth, so I can't really comment on that. One thing I can say is I feel like it's not uh, it's not for me to decide what the appropriate response is of people who feel like this is, um, you know, this is a violation of their rights and they're wanting to do something about it. I can't decide what the right thing to do is. And the, and me saying this is the right thing is effectively me deciding that I have the kind of moral high ground to decide that. I don't. That's ridiculous, though. Like, I mean, you can have an opinion on violence. You can have an opinion. I'm not saying you have to have an opinion. You don't. But I don't I don't I don't agree with this stay in your lane thing. Like, to me, that's what that is, where it's like, oh, well, I I can't say I can't tell them what to do. And I mean, you're not telling them what to do. You probably don't have any impact on what those people do. But I don't I don't agree that if you see something that's like harmful happening or if you're seeing somebody get beat up or be violent you have to stay out of it because supposedly all these people are marginalized people i mean again it's not true that they're all marginalized people but Mm. i mean because people said that to me and i'm like i don't know i mean anybody can have an opinion on anything i think the thing for me is that um personally i don't like police either (laughs) and so if people are trying to um trying to find ways to have themselves heard by essentially the power of the state and the people who enforce the power of the state. I'm not sure what the best mechanism to do that is. Um, I've, I've heard that the civil rights movement did use violence strategically. Um, And I'm not saying that what people are doing right now is necessarily strategic, I doubt that it is, and that's my other point, is that um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's agitators within the protest movements who are setting up violence who probably don't support the Black Lives Matter movement or the protesters, but who want to see violence for their own ends, which is to paint these people as violent and therefore that police should intervene and we should shut the whole thing down. I feel like the kind of Trumps of the world would probably want uh, violence to happen because they can then paint this whole movement as illegitimate. So it wouldn't surprise me if that's part of what's happening. Well, sure. And I mean, they would have no investment in in terms of ensuring that 
you know, inner city communities weren't destroyed also. Um, and I think back in 92, during those riots, the cops were late to respond. And I think that that was intentional. Um, and they had a bunch of silly excuses as to why they didn't respond and why they just let this really awful, really disgusting violence go on for days. And, mm. you know, all these all these local businesses were just, I mean, there was massive fires everywhere. Like, people's livelihoods were just destroyed. It was It was just mm. awful. And... And yeah, I think they kind of let it go on purpose and, uh, you know, maybe because they didn't care, but also maybe so they have an excuse to militarize um, or to kind of usher in the right and, you know, sell not a police state, but a version of a police state. Um, That's what happened in one case, right? Before Reagan was, uh, before Reagan was elected. I feel like there's been examples given where um, uh, before a super conservative president was uh, elected, there was a kind of uprising of violent protest and that led to kind of this sweeping shift to the right. Yeah, I think that has happened a couple of times. Um, Mm. Right. And um, I think that there are agitators. I think that there probably are you know, undercover cops and things like that who are intentionally spreading shit. I also Mm -hmm. think that there's a lot of uh, people who are just kind of being violent for no reason, just to be violent, to loot because they can loot because they free stuff. Like, (laughs) that part's that not that complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're probably right that people like Trump and those types would like the protesters to be violent so that they can continue to call them all a bunch of thugs and criminals and not take anything they say seriously, which is, I mean, another reason why I think it's counterproductive. I don't Mm. think it gets people inside. Mm -hmm. But Um, see, the thing with raising the valid criticism that this is counterproductive, um, I think there's two parts to this. One is, and this is what I'm pointing to, that um, when people say your reaction to this is illogical, like something happens to you and and you react with anger, with with rage, with hurt, and someone says, come on, your reaction is illogical. Like look at the facts and figures and calm down. And it's like the most, like it's the most invalidating thing possible. It's like, I don't give a fuck about the facts and figures. I'm fucking hurt. Like, why won't you just listen? So I get that that's happening on the emotional level when people are like, just, just be nonviolent and calm down. But then I also get on the kind of strategic and political level, there's like a, if we're on this same team here, which is we want change, which is we want to resolve an issue, like we need to start with what are the strategic ways to make that happen? So yes, like emotional responses are valid, but also what about strategic responses? Can we bring those into the mix too? Yeah. I mean, so I, I think in some cases it is, logical that people would feel this angry you know it's the unheard to you know paraphrase martin luther king um i don't want to quote him just like everybody else but riots (laughs) are the language of the unheard guys um he was also opposed uh, you know it's funny because the amount of people who've who've 
who've shared that quote online are sharing it sort of in defense of the riots. And within that same speech, of course, he also was very clear that he didn't support violence and that riots were harmful to communities um, and that he unequivocally supported nonviolence and nonviolent protest. But so, uh, yeah, so I think, I think what gets lost is that if you're critical of the riots and the violence, you're accused of not understanding why and not being sympathetic with marginalized groups who might feel so angry and so at the end of their rope um, that they lash out like this. It's just that, A, I don't really think that's what's happening. I really mm-hmm. don't. I mean, I, I could be I could be wrong, but I don't think that it's all marginalized, oppressed people. Mm-hmm. Um I definitely don't think it's all black people. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's just, I mean, my argument is sort of like we can like walk and chew gum at the same time, right? Like we can understand the why, but we can also say this is totally counterproductive. This is totally harmful. And I oppose violence. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the really interesting things about that is this kind of sweeping generalization of like, Anything an oppressed person does uh, is kind of like is beyond criticism. It is untouchable. Like anything you do in response to being abused or to being oppressed is off the cards for discussion because we don't get it. And it's like, yes, we can have compassion for people's responses to, you know, feeling hurt and feeling angry. It doesn't mean, to me, that reaction is the um, kind of lumping people of color into a group, like we've talked about the BIPOCs before, and it's like there's this big group of people who I don't know, but I think they're called BIPOCs, and everything they do is untouchable and off limits because I've been told they're oppressed through the literature I've read. And they have the same opinion, all of them. (laughs) Yeah, they're all very much progressive. They're at like the peak end of progressive and everything they do is off limits. And I don't actually know any. So I'm just going to tell you what I've read in the liberal literature. Like, you're Let me tell you what I saw on my Instagram feed today. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I was just, I was, oh, I was yeah. speaking as one of these people. I mm. mean, if there were literal Karens and if there were literal white feminists, uh, my feed has been populated by them. Mm. <laughs> Maybe you wouldn't call them Karens. I don't know if the, the, the Karens are probably posting the black Lives matter. Um, I bet the really, the really basic ones. Uh, my, my Instagram feed has been popular, pop, populated by, uh, you know, kind of middle-class types uh, who are fucking allies. stay in your lane do better and also silence is violence laura okay brought to you by that dude (laughs) down the street (laughs) here's my here's here's what what i'm thinking when i hear this narrative because to me that narrative it perpetuates that same idea which is that bipocs are all the same they're a monolith so how do people who sit at this ultra progressive holier than thou political position that you know you can never criticize anything anyone does if they're black how do they respond to conservative black figures 
Oh, this is such an interesting question. I'm so glad you brought this up. Uh, <laughs> I think that the answer is that they're not really black. Mm. So, I mean, so I asked this question too. So all these people who were responding to me and saying things, listen to people of color, listen to black people. And I was like, okay, shit. I think my feed is fucked today. Okay, Have you? So- okay. Oh, so I'm sorry. These texts. Your connection is just. Uh, I think it's run. Okay, so, so people in in the comments on Facebook respond to my comments around nonviolent protests and uh, you know crit- criticizing rioting. Um, was I think you're like, gonna have to start this sentence again because it's kind of we're losing some important words. Okay, so in response to. Uh, you know, these comments that I, I was making on Facebook, these articles that I posted, which actually weren't even written by me. So I posted articles quoting other people and then I was like shat on for it. But uh, obviously I supported most of what these people were saying. But um, a lot of people, like many people respond because they'll, they'll immediately admit that they haven't read the article because a whole bunch of people would want to be like, what about garbage? I can't believe you wrote this, Megan. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. You're a, you're a white woman in Canada. You have no right to say these things. And I was like, this was written by black men in America, but okay. Like, good job of reading the article. But, you know, they'll say, like, listen to people of color. Like, why won't you listen to what the people of color are saying? And I'm like, oh, I literally did. Like, I just interviewed Coleman Hughes on Tuesday, and he had some really interesting things to say. And I learned a lot from that interview. Mm-hmm. did. I mean, he's super intelligent and, and he's very important. I learned a lot. Mm. You should listen to the interview and hear what he used to say. They're like, well, he's a conservative. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. So people of color are your political puppets and their voices only count if they're repeating what you say, which you just invented from wherever you live in Canada or the UK as a white person who isn't involved in this at all. Mm-hmm. Like, you just want to fucking virtue signal to your friends about how progressive you are. And then you want to actually dismiss the, uh, the voices of, of people of color. If you don't agree with them or if they're sharing information that you don't want to hear that doesn't fit the narrative. I think that uh, the really interesting thing about the response, which is the, the kind of, um, yeah, I think you got to do something with your internet feed. I don't know if you can, um, do we need to like refresh your browser or something? I mean, I can switch to the a different thing, but I might cut out and have to come back. Here, let me try. It's okay. Yep. I'll just keep drinking. Okay, you're back. Let's see if this is better. I just switched to a different whatever. Sorry. Okay. So go on. So the thing about, um, listen to black people, I've heard a lot of people saying, listen to black people or even talk, go talk to your black friends, go talk to a black person. (laughs) Like they probably don't want to fucking talk to you, dude. But, um, the, the thing about that is for me is the listen to black people comes with that same weight of black people being a monolith. Like if you listen to black people, you're going to get the black narrative. 
No, actually, if you truly listen to black people, if you truly engage with black people and people of color, you'll find out they're just as diverse as white people. And there's not going to be a one size fits all solution from black people on this. So really talking to black people and listening to black people means to fully comprehend and kind of engage with the diversity of their viewpoints on this issue not to say that they're going to say oh some of them will be like oh no racism is not a thing i don't even care about racism no but like deeply appreciate their different perspectives on how racism has affected them and how they want to respond to it rather than saying there's one approach to to respond to racism and it's it's the one i like (laughs) Yeah, well, and some of them will say that they don't think racism exists. Lots of them will. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people have different experiences and different perspectives. And I just, I really, I just find it so ironic because I think it's so racist to stereotype people in that way and then to erase and dismiss people in that way at the same time. Um, I mean, I didn't actually read Coleman as conservative, I, but he might, I don't know how he identifies. I mean, he grew up in a left wing household and you know he has i i just think people i've said this a million times but i don't think people fit into these binaries it's like you'll have some opinions that might constitute conservative opinions and some opinions that might be liberal or left and that's really healthy like what i i think the best thing to do is to take what's good take the good ideas from you know, the conservative end of the spectrum and take the good ideas from the left and take the good ideas from liberals and hopefully you come up with the best solutions and policies and, and, you know, you choose what's most ethical and what's, you know, best for, for people in the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what these, these leftists are doing and, you know, probably conservatives do it too. I just, I just engage with as many people on the right as I do with people on the left is that they're so rigid in their thinking that they, they'll still continue to attach themselves to, to attach themselves to whatever has been labeled left wing, even if those are bad or rational or hypocritical or, or hypocritical or harmful ideas. Right. I mean, you're, you're literally, you're a bunch of supposed feminists and leftists supporting male violence with your blinders on, because if you're a leftist, this is what you're supposed to support. And if you don't, then you know that your friends will call you right wing and you're so scared of being the right wing that, right wing that you won't even hold an ethical opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I listened to part of your interview with uh, Coleman and I feel like, um, I don't know, I get the vibe that he's like a centrist. I know he debated Tarnese Coates on reparations so he's not in favor of reparations and he has his rationale as to why he has that position and I think this is kind of the thing like you were saying before about Martin Luther King's quote being taken out of context as to be pro-riot when it was actually much more nuanced and it was kind of critical of riots but you have to read more deeply and again I feel like this is the same issue it's it's this monolithic view that we take a few quotes from black people 
And I posted an Audre Lorde uh, chapter out of one of her uh, essays on my Instagram because she was talking to Mary Daly about like, have you really engaged with my work or have you just gone through my work looking for quotes that you can quickly pull out and use to advance your own ideas and say like, look, there is a black woman on my side. So it's all good. <laughs> like deeply engaging with black people means deeply engaging with their ideas, not pulling Martin Luther King's quote and saying, well, he supports me. So I got him on my side. Have you really, have you read like an autobiography and, and appreciated his story, how he came to his politics, the kind of journey he went on, the changes he went through? Because I feel like that's lacking for so many people is like, to, to think that a black person's on my side because I've got this quote and like knowing nothing about their story, knowing nothing about their politics, except for this very superficial face value reading that supports their already pre-existing ideas. So right. they haven't had to do anything. They haven't had to step out of their comfort zone. They haven't had to learn about someone else's life. Um, and I feel like that's that's a big part of like, reading the history books like reading the leaders of these movements because you'll find out they're very complicated they have complex histories they have complex ideas and thoughts and criticisms of these movements but you won't get that if you just pick Martin Luther King's quote up and think that it's pro-riot right and I mean this is a major problem with internet culture, right? Is that what people are doing is, I wish I could start using a word besides virtue signaling. Cause I think I yeah, say virtue I signaling about 10 times a day, but you know what, what they're doing as far as their activism goes is to post quotes on the internet, yeah. you know, to post memes on Instagram, to post quotes on Instagram, to post quotes on Twitter, um, even to Facebook. These are the kind of things that will get like because a lot of quotes can sound really powerful but then of course you haven't read the rest of the speech you haven't read the article you haven't read the book and um it's i mean what i i mean i i really did learn so much from coleman and he is so fucking young too i was so annoyed i think he's like 24 and i was like i know i was like a retard when i was 24 <laughs> like he's so <laughs> me too like i was 24. like but yeah, but, uh, you know, I was like, what, what should people do? People obviously want to do something. And he was like, the first thing you always do. And the most important thing is to educate yourself. And that's, what's lacking is people aren't reading because they can't post their books on Instagram. Um, you know, they, it's, it's hard to, to summarize complex ideas in the kinds of quotes that get likes and retweets online on social media. Right. So, you know, the most important thing on social media is to be a narcissist, right? To make right. yourself look good. So mm. you're not going to, you're not going to do that by sitting at home reading a book. Yeah. And you know what? That's so funny you bring that up because that's something I've been dealing with this week is like crafting responses um, that are appropriate and compassionate and like with the work I'm doing. And the interesting thing is, um, developing some sort of communication material for a company and then having it's having it come to me and it's kind of out of whack it it shows me that the people that are writing it have read some quotes from black authors 
and have turned them into something that they think they know what it means. And me having read the books of these authors is like, no, that that's not what they meant. Um, you're going to have to change your language. It's so awkward. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, like, you and you're right. You read the whole book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's like the kind of nuance that's missing. And it's always missing in progressive discussions. Nuance is always missing because there's this thing of like, we've got to be anti cis hetero patriarchal capitalist whatever like that's their position and there's no nuance there's no you know the people that came up with these theories have some complexity around it for sure there are progressive authors who just take that tact and that's it there's nothing else to it but if you read the stories of people who kind of sit anywhere outside of that hard line approach which is most people you'll find that there's way more complexity to it and they're not just anti-cis heteronormative capitalist patriarchy like there's more to the story and the nuance yeah it doesn't translate with quotes and with like what looks good on social media it doesn't translate it requires way deeper engagement and that's like I said to you that's why I don't really have those conversations in the comment section because they need to be had one-on-one or they need to be had in person they don't happen in the comment section on Facebook no they can't and I mean I think people when things like this happen uh this kind of behavior amps up on social media and it's amped up because of COVID and because people are isolating so I sort of think it's only going to get worse but it's really I mean it's really toxic obviously and it's just it's so unproductive and I just I find it also offensive like I I'm just so offended by people who are clearly just engaging for other people to look at it and to make themselves feel better and I just hate like every time I open social media this week I just wanted to stab myself in the eye like it was the blackout Tuesday thing. I mean, yeah. sorry, no offense to anybody who participated in it. It's obviously not harmful. Um, it's just that almost everybody in my feed did it. And, you know, most of those people, I don't think, have any idea what's going on and wouldn't have any idea what an actual good solution would be or some good solutions would be to the problems faced by people who are are marginalized in the U.S. um, and haven't really educated themselves. And fair enough, fair enough, like, you want to do something, fine. But the thing that, uh, you know, I I hate lemon culture. Like, I hate this culture where everybody's doing something, so we all have to jump on board. Like, I think everybody feels (laughs) felt pressured to participate in that. And I was like, I'm not doing it. Like, I'm not I don't enjoy participating in these mass things that I think of as being just like for optics and not productive. Mm -hmm. First of all, I don't like joining the crowd. Like usually if the crowd is doing something that makes me not want to do it, and Mm -hmm. obviously to start questioning it, and I'm going to think about something for a while before I decide to participate or say something, I'm not going to just 
jump online and start spouting off if I don't really know what my position is or if I don't have an informed opinion. It doesn't mean I always have the right opinion, but it's going to be an informed opinion that I've, I've thought about pretty carefully. And so I was just like, oh, God, like I just it's just out of control. Like people and people are so I, I don't even know if they know what they're angry about. Like they're angry about the murder of this man, I think, because it was disgusting and abhorrent no, and traumatic and wrong. But I think I yeah, I know I kind of don't either. Like I kind of I, I don't know. I don't. It's like this cultural or like social I mean, yeah. Are they angry? Are they really angry? Some some people I, seemed angry, and I was sort of trying to figure out what it was that they were angry about. Yeah, I have Beyond to. What say, they were saying on Instagram yeah. was like, mm. look, I have to say, I feel like some people's frustration and kind of energy around this comes from the the discomfort of seeing other people's. Uh, emotional response um, and I'll give you my example um, when this first started happening like a week or two ago week and a half maybe um, I was immediately frustrated I was I, I you know I'm in New Zealand I've been in like Australia and Asia and it, the conversation for me because most of my cir- circle is you know, liberals, the conversation immediately went to white fragility. And I was like, I'm, I'm not interested in this right now. Like, I don't want to have, I don't want upper middle class white people lecturing me about fragility. Like, just give me a fucking break. For real. Like, I'm not interested in your, you attacking me to perform social justice activism. Like, fuck off. But then the further I went with this, I have to say I have found a few uh, black women that I've been able to engage with their work. And um, actually their work is very meaningful. And, you know, they name things like performative activism and the fact that everyone's been performing activism and that's kind of one of the early stages of you know, like awakening to the fact that there are political issues in the world and people first awaken to like, oh, there's political issues in the world. Okay, the first thing I'll do is post on my Instagram, Black Lives Matter. And it's like, it's pathetic and it's useless. And of course, it's all the guilt and the I'm I'm doing something. If I tell my friends that they're all fucking racist, I'll feel better. And There is that, you know, like those early stages of working it out. And then, you know, further down the line, and I guess this is kind of why it's it's so um, obvious to me that so many of these people live in a very white world because they then go to, well, you haven't talked to any black people. Like you, if you're not listening to the voices of black people, you don't get it. I'm like, I've always been listening to the voices of black people because I don't live in a upper class white society that's just a homogenous group of white people. So what do you mean listen to black people? Like, why wouldn't you have been listening to black people? In what world do you live where you have to be told to go and listen to black people? I guess you must live in like a a sort of gated white community. 
because it should not be of any effort. And I mean, you should listen to, as I'm saying this, I'm like, all lives matter. I would never say that. It's like, you should listen to all people. I just mean that it's like you're treating one group of people, not you, but, you know, when you're saying listen to black people, listen to black people, you're treating, you're putting a group of people on a pedestal and you're treating them as a monolith. And also, you know, black people in Canada or black people in New Zealand or black people in China or black people, you know, in Europe, um, probably have different experiences. So just to, you know, order somebody to have, you know, <laughs> listen to black people, it's like, well, which ones? And it's like, well, the, the right answer to that, I think, is as many as possible. You just, you but listen to thing. and you learn from as many people as you possibly can. But these people are saying, listen to black people. But what they're really saying is listen to the black person that I'm listening to, whose opinion I like or whose quote I like. It's like, well, this suits me and this is what my friends like and this is what they agree with. So this is what I'm listening to. And this is what the rest of you. And by listen, it actually doesn't mean it just means passively listen. Like, don't think critically about this. Like you could listen to a black person and disagree with them and think, "Mm, I don't think that's a very rational opinion or I think that's a bad opinion. I mean, you still have to use critical thought. You don't listening passively doesn't do fucking anything. (laughs) But I, I can appreciate that people feel like they're suddenly out of their depth like they've suddenly realized like oh racism is a thing what well I I don't I don't get that okay I'll go to like the 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 first black people I can find on my social media and see what they're saying about racism I guess that's it then. I guess I'm now informed like this is what black people think and then you said they mean totally different things like black in Africa in particularly in South Africa means a totally different thing than it does in Australia where, um, and it means a totally different thing in America. Like (laughs) this thing about black people. I mean, I think that's one of the things that I've enjoyed about this dialogue that's happening is that I noticed a bunch of people saying, stop saying POC you don't know what that means. If you're talking about black Americans, refer to them as black Americans because they're not POCs. And I was like, oh, thank God. Like finally someone's talking about this bullshit, like homogenizing brown and black people in one group. And they all think the same. They, I guess they all look the same. Like, I, I I don't get that view. I don't get, and I don't get the BIPOC view either because that to me, they're, they're all, the all distinct age. groups. <laughs> I mean, this is a very youth oriented kind of movement and like the yeah. people that they're listening to are young people. You know, I don't know that they're really listening to the 60 year old black people, but mm. I mean, and ironically all the black men that I know are not into this vibe like they're not into they're definitely not into the virtue signaling they're definitely like critical of these kinds of movements and this kinds of this kind of activism and they don't go along with the narrative that these Mm. white women are insisting that that you know they're they're (laughs) only saying this because it's what black people think and it's like well the black people that i know don't think this and they think that you're wrong and they completely (laughs) disagree with what you're telling me but 
tell yeah. us about it. You know, yeah, like, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah, I yeah. do. You, why don't Why don't you go talk to some black? Like you keep saying, listen to black people. Why don't you go? Li-? Like it just. You know, but that's what I so, mean. If you're, if you're it's saying, so privileged. Listen, it's so pri- they're so privileged and they're so in their in their white bubbles. Like I, I hate right. doing the thing that like people do to me and people do to like and those people. You know, like I don't like this identity politics thing. But yeah. I'm just like listening to what they're saying. I'm like, it doesn't sound like you listen to or talk to anyone. Like maybe you do, but you're you're in a very small bubble. Like the things that you're. If this is what. The only things that you're the only thing that you're hearing and these are the conversations that you're having and everyone around you is agreeing with you. You have a very small circle. Yeah. And I think that's that's really apparent to me. The more people talk about listen to black people, I'm thinking maybe like you. I mean, I don't know. I've, I've never lived in the United States. I don't know what the average life looks like for someone in North America at all. I have no idea. But my guess is that a lot of these people, when they say listen to black people, it's like they might have a colleague at work who's black or, you know, like someone in their friendship circle who's black. And so for them, that kind of that that indicates that they listen to black people. <laughs> I'm like You listen to black people from within your white bubble. That's not listening to black people. That's tokenizing black people. So listening to black people for me means stepping out of your white bubble. It means stop living in your gated community, telling other people in the gated community how they should think about black issues. If you really want to listen to black people and and you're of the middle upper class, like the, the kind of white middle upper class where you have your little bubbled world where you don't really see, you know, issues related to poverty and race. You have to step out of that if you're going to say that you engage with and understand these issues. And I don't believe that these people are doing that from behind the gated community that they heard, they heard one black person and they posted a Martin Luther King quote. And now they're listening to black people. Megan, why aren't you listening too? like, <laughs> give me a fucking break. I don't have to go and listen to black people. Cause I've always been listening to black people. Cause I've always been friends with in relationship with involved with engaged with people of all cultural backgrounds it's not a one-time event that I go and listen to black people like fuck off that's that is fucking ridiculous um I I also think I mean there's to me I've been getting irritated I mean I'm sort of always irritated about this but I feel like there's a real lack of and this is connected to the people virtue signaling online about racism because one of the things that I've been wondering this week is it's like what are you asking for? Um, and I'm not necessarily talking about the protesters because I think I think a lot of the protesters are asking for police reform or to defund the police. You know, because mm-hmm. I was thinking, I was like, you know, activism doesn't really work unless there's a specific ask or a specific goal. It can't just be like, we're against racism. Like, well, what, what the fuck does that mean? Like, what is racism? <laughs> like, what do you want to stop here? Like, what are you trying to do? Like, what, you know, you can't just, it's too abstract. It's it's just mm. too vague. So, That's, but, yeah. I mean, I was just going to say uh, one of the best articles I read on this was that um, 
out of the various, um, you know, agitations and movements that have happened around um, uh, Black American rights is that there's never been a concrete policy movement on what needs to happen from like a poli- from a political standpoint. There's never been clear policy movement, and I think that's a, that's. But this is taking the conversation a whole lot further. You got to remember, right now we're talking about people who are for the first time listening to black people. On Instagram. Because, because black people are this kind of object that we sometimes listen to. So it's really hard to um, go from that to like what are the appropriate political measures that are going to deal with racial inequality or racial issues or racism in the United States. Of course, like there's not clear mechanisms that have been designed because I, I feel like we're still at the very early stages of that conversation. Uh, and, and I mean, there are some organizations that are, that are putting, like you said, some organizations are, are talking about police reform and there's been various waves of police reform in the past. So that could potentially be useful. Um, but in terms like- of like a clear political mandate, there isn't one. But, I mean, what would that even be? Like, what would it, you know, I don't don't agree that there's some, like, obvious racism in the the United States that we could just address. Um, uh, I don't think racism is, like, systemic in the way that it was in the past, is what I mean. I mean, I think feminism struggles with the same problem, is that, you know, in, in North America women's rights are established. I mean, we're about, we're losing them now because of gender identity ideology, of course. And now we have to go back to fighting for our sex-based rights. But, you know, where things aren't part of the system and they aren't, you know, uh, in law anymore. So there's no obvious, obvious um, sexist or racist laws in North America. Mm. So it's sort of a more vague, abstract concept and it, it in, in some ways this might, might be something I shouldn't say but in some ways it sort of it <laughs> renders activists some activists irrelevant you know you have to be doing something specific into kind of being legit so in terms of you know for example the feminist movement I feel like it's fighting you know, fighting specific things. So fighting male violence against women, supporting victims of domestic abuse, fighting FGM, fighting surrogacy, fighting prostitution, fighting pornography. Um, If you're just sort of vaguely talking about um, things like uh, fucking mansplaining or um, manspreading or microaggressions, which is sort of more often talked about in terms of race, but those kinds of things, it's like, you're sort of clinging to the idea Mm -hmm. you want to be an activist, Mm -hmm. but you don't really have anything to fight. Um, Yeah. So you're looking for things. So you're like racism, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like, or, or the same thing, you know, transphobia. I mean, you can apply Mm -hmm. it to all sorts of things and it's not totally a true, true, but you don't want to lose relevancy. So you kind of double down on it. Um, Mm -hmm. And you, you use hyperbole and you act like it's bigger than it is. And a lot of people buy into that and a lot of people go along with it. You know, they see online, oh my God, this is like this horrible problem. 
fuck, we have to stop it. Wait, what is the problem? What are we stopping? (laughs) I just want, I want people to be more specific about what they want and what kind of policies they're trying to enact and what they want to change. And it can't be, I'm sorry, this is so like counter to the things that I used to say five or 10 years ago, but you can't, you can't just say, tear down the system. It's like, okay, For what, though? Like, what is it specifically that you want to build up? What is it that you want to be different? Like, I, I need I need more information than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like the anarchists who are like, fuck it. Like, let's burn the fucking city down. Like, what are you going to replace it, it with? Yeah. Are you going to do the work? Um, I, I know, feel I, like... I, I want to know what you... these white feminists are going to show up in Minneapolis and rebuild those communities after they're burned mm. down. Mm. I feel like what you're uh, speaking to, though, is still that thing of, and I, I've, I, I get the sense that this, what's happening right now, has been a, an awakening for a lot of people, and a lot of people have now learned the language of systemic oppression for the first time. This is the first time they've encountered this language, and a lot of these people are white people. And they have no idea what this means, but they've just been told it's something you're involved with, it's something you benefit from, and so it's something you have to fight against. And they're like, oh, fuck yeah, tell me what I need to do. I'll fucking do it. Like, I feel upset and angry too. I want to take action too. Um, and, And that's where you get this very superficial level of activism, which is like, let's do fucking anarchy. Let's fuck everything up. Like you, you haven't. And I guess that's where these gaps start emerging of like, yeah, I guess you you don't really know black people. That's why you're saying, listen to black people, because if you really did, you'd understand that there's like a plethora of opinions about how to deal with racism. Um, And I do think that a lot of people who are now learning the language of systemic racism have no idea what that means or looks like on the ground because they've never really known black people. And, And so coming up with answers or solutions is totally abstract to them. It's like, well, I guess we defund the police, we burn the city down, and that's the solution I've got because I have no idea what racism looks like because I've never actually known black people. So I've never heard their experiences or what they would like as a response to those experiences. I mean, um, I like so. I think defunding the police could be a solution, and defunding the police doesn't mean like get rid of the police. I'm not in favor of abolishing the police, but it's sort of about redirecting some funds from that budget to community programs. So, to me, it would I would want to know what those community programs or services were. Um, but you know, for example. And I would want to know who was running them because I'm 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 not in favor of like community policing or like replacing the cops with activists because guess who'd go first? Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it would be the turfs. <laughs> okay, yeah, I but those you. those those activists are misogynists. Just as much as the cops are and just as mm. much as the right are. That is mm. for fucking sure. Um, mm. The left is is no better than the right when it comes to women. Um, mm. But, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, so so services around supporting people with mental health issues, um, addiction, I think, like programs to retrain people so that or train people, period, um, for employment so they can get better paying jobs. Like, I mean, one of the biggest problems that I have with this whole thing is that nobody is talking about class and poverty and class and poverty, I'm sorry, in this conversation are much they're much more important than people are willing to acknowledge and i'm you know i'm i'm willing to say actually that i think class and poverty in this situation is more important than the issue of race because what's happening here is that it's poor black men who are being criminalized and in the united states poverty is criminalized and the reason that black men are overrepresented in prison is because of poverty. So black men in America are in prison for the stupidest, the stupidest reasons for petty crime, for drug charges, like for weed, yeah. like um, they, in, and they can't in, pay bail. So they go to jail where middle-class people wouldn't go to jail. Yes. So it's literally a direct result of poverty that people for minimal charges are going to jail when if you were middle class, you wouldn't be going to jail. Like it's exactly. literally about poverty. Yeah. And in, in the U.S. And, and neoliberalism. I mean, you can't put neoliberalism on a placard. Or you could, but nobody would know what the fuck you're talking about. So there's no mm. point. But, you know, in, in, in the U.S., they have privatized jails. So they have for-profit jails. So, you know, people go to jail and people profit. They also throw people in jail for debt, right? So you get fines, which are often related to your poverty. Um, and then you can't pay the fines. And then they put you in jail. So the debt collectors profit, the jail profits. You know, this is this is so much about neoliberalism and capitalism, um, and, you know, I think, I think people talk about race because it's easier and I think it's, it's become such an acceptable, you know, and not only acceptable, but you have to, you have to just name check essentially the word race, which is not mm. a bad thing, but the fact that nobody's talking about class or poverty really is a bad thing mm. because, the, the thing that is really going to lift most people out of a marginalized position is to ensure that they're not in poverty and that they have stable, safe housing, that they have access to food, that they have access to, like, leading a, a dignified, safe life. And they're not forced to hustle and they're not <laughs> forced to be on the street and they're not sp forced to be in situations where they're going to get harassed by the cops and thrown in jail. And that all, of course, is attached to race. You know, there's reasons why black mm. people are poor. And why, you know, in, in Vancouver, Indigenous people are in poverty and overrepresented on the streets and in prostitution. But like a, a main factor here is poverty and, and class. And I don't I don't hear any of those activists. Um, I shouldn't say any, but yeah. I don't I don't see people on Instagram talking about that. Dude, you, I just had like a light bulb moment that. I think the reason a lot of people skip the class and go straight to race is because these are people who are middle to upper class. Like they have no conception of poverty. And the easiest way to conceive of poverty is to think of it as a black person. 
Like it's easier to think of poverty as a black person and a monolithic black person as being re representative of poverty and all the oppressions that they think they don't know what they are, but all the oppression than to deeply engage with what those systemic issues mean. And, and that's the thing, like you say, it's so much more complicated, like to live in poverty means so many things that you can't conceive of when you have always been middle class. It's so far outside your range of experience. And like, this is something that's been very eye opening to me. The more money I earn is how many fucking insurance policies you get when you earn money, you get insurance on insurance on insurance. And like, I don't have generational money. I don't have parents money to fall back on. But I have fucking insurance now. Like rich people have insurance on every single thing they own, every single piece of money. Their income is fucking insured. Their life I didn't is know insured. that. I don't have any insurance. What do you have insurance? You get insurance on everything. Every time you get a credit card that's like a decent credit card, it comes mm. insured. And then like the more I'm I'm not at this level yet. I didn't even more, notice. <laughs> the more you build up wealth. You get your fucking income insured. Your whole life is insured. You will never drop down from your position as an upper, I think it's when you get to like the upper middle class. You cannot, your social mobility will never go down because it's fucking insured into place. And people who are born into money will never understand. Your life has been insured since fucking birth. You don't know what rock bottom is because your parents have insured that you would never have a rock bottom your grandparents insured that you would never have a rock bottom and even if you lost your job and you lost your insurance policy your parents would have the cash flow to fucking bail you out like you would never be in a position where you have nothing and you have no one and that's like something that they can't conceptualize so I think they go oh it's black people it's the thing about race that I don't There's get. something happening I don't quite understand. It's happening yeah. to black people. I'm a white person. Black people. I should I should post something on Instagram. <laughs> a black square. <laughs> <sighs> I feel so much better. Yeah, that's resolved. I'm glad we got that out of the way. Well, let's get back gone. to business. And you know, the amazing thing about these people is they'll turn this into a fucking business project. Like white people with money can never see a problem and not turn it into a fucking business solution. And this really does my head in the whole like white wellness industry and all of this shit about like spirituality, the way they create their little spiritual businesses. Like they can't see a systemic issue and not come up with a fucking business model like can you just let people who are suffering just have their fucking suffering and not try and make money off of it for five fucking minutes they can't do it all they see is opportunities to earn money but they want to lecture us you should be anti-capitalism capitalism is bad for people i'm like fuck tell me more i'll buy your ten thousand dollar program so you can fucking educate me since you came from money all you know is money and now you want to educate me about money Give me a fucking break. I mean, I do need education and money because, Lord, I am bad with it. <laughs> because I grew up working class. 
So the idea of money stresses me out and I, I don't trust it to be there ever. Cause you know, it just is like, you know, there's no money is not a permanent thing to me. So there's no but that's security why, in money. That's why they do this bullshit manifestation thing. And you know, it's been very interesting seeing all these manifestation fuckwits getting called out right now because it's like, you cannot manifest your way out of being born into poverty. And you certainly, and this is where they're tripping over right now. You cannot manifest your way out of being black. You cannot manifest a fucking skin color or a name or a surname or a language. Like those are things that you're born into and you can work all your fucking life to try and get out of it. You don't wake up one day and I've changed my mindset. I've decided I'm wealthy today. I've decided I don't have black skin. I've decided I don't have PTSD. Of course, manifestation works for you if you were born into all of these things. All you need is to change your mindset and you feel good. But if you're born into shit, you've got to work fucking day in and day out to see something change. I mean, I find the other thing that's interesting about this is that people... So people are, are you know, pretending like they're radical activists and wanting to participate in these protests and they're wanting to be allies, not realizing that this has so much to do with poverty because they've never been poor. Because as you say, they're all middle class. And so, you know, when you're middle class and when you're upper class, you assume that everyone else is middle or upper class. You know, like <laughs> you say, like you can't, you do, like you can't, you can't I conceptualize assume what it's... <laughs> I mean, I so basically I, am I, a psychologist, so. <laughs> so maybe, I, just, maybe I assume right. everyone's read what I've read, so I can see it through that lens of being like, uh, you think your rock bottom is the same as everyone else's rock bottom because yeah. that's what rock bottom is to you. Their version of broke. And I, I started realizing this and was like, oh, my God, and thought I had a revelation because I um, grew up in a – you know, middle class neighborhood and went to a school that was mostly middle upper class people. Mm -hmm. And I realized somewhere down the line in my twenties that when they were saying that they were broke, they weren't actually broke. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when I was saying I was broke, I literally mm -hmm. didn't have a, like any money. Like I literally didn't have it. I was like, I don't have it. If I said I don't have any money, I literally didn't have a dollar any zero. Like it means not, zero. Not in my pocket, not in my bank account, not in my savings not on a credit card. And when they were saying broke, it was that they had, you know, $10,000 in their savings account yes. and, you know, however many thousand dollars in their bank account. But I guess I don't even, I don't even understand how much money, but you know, like it's like, but they didn't have their parents as have much money, money as they think they're supposed to have, or it's gone, or maybe all their money is in savings and not in their like spending account or something like yes. that. So broke. And I was like, Oh my God. You just literally don't know how it feels to be broke or what that means. And you, you can't, it doesn't, it doesn't even occur to you what poverty would be like. So you can talk about race because that's easy and it's very handy for virtue signaling to your friends that you're a good person and you're a good progressive and you're anti-racist and you have to post that black square because silence is violence. So if you don't, you're literally perpetrating violence on BIPOCs. Um, those the the BIPOCs, but you yeah. can't you can't engage with real solutions because you don't understand what the problem is, right. and that's why none of these people are talking about class or poverty. I think, 
Right. Um, and because they, they don't, you know, they don't really get how the system works. And because that message is probably more complicated um, than people would like it to be. I mean, people like really simple solutions. This is why people create these binaries between left and right, like left, good, right, bad. Conservative ideas are bad. Left wing's ideas are good. Um, mm. People don't really like complexities. They don't like nuance. They don't like gray areas. So like, mm. if I do this, this will help. So I'm going to do this. Do you know what's been really uh, kind of an awakening for me seeing this conversation unfold on social media is hearing black women say like, I'm not going to engage in the emotional labor of educating you on racism and I, I always accepted that. Like I've always been friends with black people and I've always had black people in my life and I've always read black women's literature. And so it's not like I've ever been asking anyone to uh, educate me, but I was always kind of a little bit perplexed by what that meant. Like I'm not going to engage in the emotional labor of educating you. But then I had this awakening this week of like, this has been my struggle in trying to articulate why people co-opting the notion of trauma is so frustrating to me. It's because I now have to engage in the emotional labor of trying to explain to you an experience that is totally beyond your comprehension. And for people who when it's beyond your comprehension, like poverty is, for example, and like racism is and like trauma is, it's like you start you start trying to find ways to make it fit within your existing frameworks and your existing way of thinking. And you're like, oh, so I guess it's like that time I felt sad. Oh, I guess it's like that time I hit a rock bottom. And I'm like, no, no, like, please stop saying that. You're undermining the reality of what trauma is when you keep comparing it to these things that it's nothing alike. And I'm like, fuck, this is what black women have been saying. Like, stop comparing racism to um, to sexism. Stop comparing racism to gender, whatever, uh, misgendering. Like, stop putting racism into other frameworks so that it's easier for you to comprehend. And I'm like, fuck, I get it now because that's how it feels to me when people are like, oh, trauma, trauma is like that thing when you feel really sad because someone didn't validate you. And I'm like, that's not even close to like that's that makes it so much worse that you won't just acknowledge that you don't understand. And the first step of us like truly communicating is for you to just understand that you don't understand. Like that's the first point of call. And once you understand that you don't understand, then we can move forward. But you keep trying to, you keep trying to make it sound like you understand. And I know that you don't. And it's, and it's been quite jarring when uh, like I've been talking more about trauma and people have been (laughs) messaging me like, Oh, I saw this thing about trauma. Like, I thought you might like it. And I'm like, oh, God, this is hor- like so horrifically wrong. It's, it's, it's just I, I don't even want to look at it. 
but I, I get it now. The emotional labor of people like wanting you to take them on the journey and being like, oh, I think I get racism now. Like that must be so fucking frustrating to have all these white people. So, there was a black feminist woman sharing screenshots of like people that have been in her DMs being like, oh my God, I understand racism now. Like I I never understood before. Da-da-da. And she's like, can you stop? fucking dming me you're like your bullshit and i'm like oh this is how i feel when people keep coming to me being like oh i get trauma now and i'm like no you don't it, it's just worse when you think you do you I, mean, I mean i sort of i feel a bit bad for those people because they're just they are i think they're trying to relate and they're trying to understand and they're trying to yeah. learn and they don't and i mean People aren't going to understand or know everything at first. And like when people kind of have their like, oh, I'm starting to get this. I think that they get excited and they want to relate to you. Like it's like I used to have a lot of men who would be like, you know, if somebody would introduce me as like a feminist or somebody would know me as a feminist, they'd be like, oh, like, yeah, like, I read this thing and da-da-da-da-da-da, and I just like, oh, I'm gonna fucking kill myself or, like, pass out, like, fall asleep. Like, this is so not interesting to me, but you think it's really interesting because you just discovered it, and so you don't mm-hmm. realize that I don't want to talk about this, and this isn't interesting. I don't want to talk about my work, first of all, because I'm not working, <laughs> and I don't want to work more when I'm socializing, but also, like, Okay, I'm really glad that you discovered this and figured it out. But it really doesn't interest me. But I mean, whatever. Like you're excited, fine. You don't realize how basic you are. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I can't, I can't hate on those people. But I get that it's irritating. I mean, it's not their fault. How how do they know that they're being facile and like kind of boring and and ignorant? I don't know, um, but these are the same people. That the worst thing is the lecturing. The worst thing, the worst yeah. thing on the Instagram is all the white people and on Facebook is all the white people lecturing each other. So, mm-hmm. like, I I named this episode like "White People Are Unbearable," and it's not because I want to participate in this. Like, oh my god, white people are all awful and evil yeah. and terrible, <laughs> except for me because I just said that. It's all of yeah. them, and and because I understand how bad they are, that makes me not bad. But, yeah. you know, it's that, you know, they're they're just they're lecturing each other on what to do to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, actually, you shouldn't be using that hashtag. And then they're like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Thank you for educating me. Like, this is this round, round, round. Actually, you should say this. Actually, you shouldn't say that. You're supposed to post this. Actually, don't post this. Actually, Black Lives Matter said this. And like and, uh, you know, stay in your lane and all these all these stupid mantras actually we all just need to listen so maybe you could and then the other white person acquiesces and it's like Mm -hmm. it's just it's all so phony and irritating i can't stand Mm -hmm. it um in the comments someone says okay i'm white and i don't get racism but if i don't talk about it then i'm racist so i'm still confused yeah it's a trap I think that's you're supposed to yeah. talk because silence is violence but you also need to sit down and shut up and stay in your lane and just listen and and that's the thing, I guess. But you know what? I will say this. I have appreciated this amplify melanated voices thing because I really do feel like some white people need to shut the fuck up right now and, like, just just for a second, just, like, read some fucking books that are written by black people 
and appreciate the diversity of their experiences and their perspectives rather than talking about it. And the reason I say this is I feel like a lot of people who have lived a life of privilege have so much fucking time and energy on their hands. And and I'm coming to this with a perspective of like, I have, you know, intergenerational trauma, say, PTSD. I lose a lot of time to um, anxiety and I lose a lot of time to like coping with emotional dysregulation. But people who haven't suffered the same thing have a lot of fucking time on their hands and they never shut the fuck up. Like every single time they see an injustice, the first thing they do is jump on their social media, write a 10 page fucking essay, come up with some business plan. They're going to revolutionize the world with this new fucking business. Like I do see the value in some of these people, some of these people, but not all people just shutting the fuck up for a minute. Like you have so much time and energy on your hands because you were born of a world of privilege. Like you, you were born of a world where you haven't had to struggle and lose your time and energy to bullshit, to overcoming poverty, to overcoming trauma, to overcoming really anything. And that's great. That's wonderful. But, like, just shut the fuck up for a minute. <laughs> just let other people live. I mean, you know okay, I mean? so I'm of two minds about this. Because on one hand, I actually think that shutting up is a good solution for a lot of people. Like, if if you don't, if you don't have an informed opinion and you haven't done some reading, if you haven't educated yourself, I mean, unfortunately, that phrase, educate yourself, has become such a cliche um and it's used to shut down conversations by people often who don't have arguments and are like i'm not responding to you educate yourself okay um but uh you know i like if you if you don't know very much about the issue that you want to or feel you should engage in some kind of instagram activism around don't post anything just don't do anything. You don't have to post something that you don't really understand and that you're ignorant to just because everyone else is and just because you want to prove to your circles that mm-hmm. you're not a racist or transphobic or sexist or whatever it is. I think it's better not to post anything. I mean, what if someone presses you on it? What if you post this thing and somebody says, oh, what do you think should change? Like, what policies are you advocating for? And you're like, Ugh. like you know, think things through before doing it. It's not just about optics. And at the same time, I I am kind of opposed to this, like, sit down if you're blank identity, sit Mm. down and shut up, stay in your lane. Because I I actually think all people need to participate in all conversations, not not in ignorance. Um, Mm. But I don't I don't think a person's opinion doesn't count just because they aren't identified with X group. And I mean, that's because of partly because of the way that argument's been misused. So for example, people will say, listen to sex workers, like you're not a sex worker. So sit down and shut up. Mm. Nothing about us without us. And what that means in that case is people who advocate for, we don't need to get into this whole other conversation Mm. that we, you know, but like what that actually means is something political. It doesn't mean necessarily listen to women in prostitution it means listen to 
people who identify as sex workers who support the legalization and full decriminalization of prostitutes. Mm. So you sort of end up in this weird trap where it's like, oh, like, you know, I can't talk about feminism because I'm a man, for example, but a lot of men that I know are better feminists and have a better understanding of feminism than lots of women who call themselves <laughs> feminists do, or, you know, men who identify as women, for example, like, mm. so it doesn't, it doesn't always work. And I think I don't, I don't like the idea of telling people just not to talk because they're attached to a specific identity. I sort of would prefer, although this is too complicated for the internet world. Um, mm. But what I would like is that you sort of, you don't speak unless you you have an informed opinion and you've sort of tried to educate yourself a bit and and you want to engage from a place of having to look in you've looked into whatever it is you you want to start talking about you're right people who go into educating themselves on political issues can be incredibly obnoxious and someone said in the comments is Laura going to jump on Twitter and be another white woman telling people to not talk about black people or whatever. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is people who have never suffered in particular, these kind of things we're talking about are the people who have the bandwidth and the energy and the time and the money to talk a lot more than people who have suffered some of the issues we're talking about. So what I'm saying is that there is more capacity to talk for certain people of certain privileges. And that is why I think it's valuable for some of those people to just stop talking just for a second. Stop talking and read a few books before you jump on social media with the full weight of all of this time and energy and all this privilege that you have. And, you know, you're so clear minded and rational and you've got so many opinions to share. And isn't it wonderful being a wonderful person of privilege who's never suffered and you can just share your thoughts so eloquently. And some of these people really can. And that's why I'm saying, wouldn't it be great if they spent more time reading and less time talking because really engaging with black women's work means really engaging with the diversity of their opinions and their experiences and understanding that they're not they don't all have the same progressive viewpoint there's not a monolith like that I to me that's what it's meant when people have said stop talking for a bit and listen and I, I don't and I don't know if that's what they meant I think they might have meant like stop talking and listen to progressive politics. And that's not necessarily what I'm advocating because I'm more of a centrist than anything else. But um, yes, you can have white privilege and speak for sure. But like I, I, I also don't enjoy getting into this whole like, as a white privileged person, I just want to say that, I, you know, like expressing white guilt and white fragility and all these things that people talk about now because it's cool to talk about. I get that. But um, I, I feel kind of, uh, what's the word, burdened with the amount of opinions that come out of people who are people who are in positions of 
so much privilege that really can't grasp what they're talking about. And so their opinions can be quite heavy to sit with because it's like, fuck, you don't get it. Like, I don't want to hear how much you don't get it. Sure. Um, I think uh, we have to move to Patreon only. Uh, mm. It's 1030, 1035. Yes. In fact. So I have something getting... to tell you. Okay. What? Oh, no, we can talk about it in privilege. Uh, in oh, okay. Patreon. But you <laughs> know how we've, been talk- we've had this kind of conversation about trauma now for like yeah. a, a few weeks. Th- dude, like this whole thing is blowing up now with this psychologist who has this alternative view of trauma because someone's come with receipts. A few years ago, they talked to her about how manifestation, you know, manifestation yeah. And they were like, you know, that comes with a lot of white privilege and, you know, there's like a systemic oppression that stops people from manifesting. And she said, I disagree. That was her response. So we'll, we'll talk, talk about, about it. About it. Adrian. <laughs> so, okay, you guys, this is the same drugs. I'm Megan Murphy. I'm Laura McNally. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Um, please support uh the show on patreon um youtube doesn't pay believe it or not i think that people who don't use youtube think that it's super lucrative but it's definitely not so (laughs) please support me on patreon and uh we we do these uh live streams every thursday night at 9 p.m and then at 10 30 p.m ish we move to patreon only which is where we sort of like get more personal and we kind of do some like therapizing and we answer your questions and sometimes we'll like give unsolicited relationship advice. And usually actually what happens is that Laura just gives me relationship advice and then it starts to get really awkward. So (laughs) (laughs) please please join us. (laughs) But okay. So the, the link to Patreon is down below. Um, and I, I hope it's self-explanatory from there. Uh, okay. 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 I'm okay. going to try and find it. Yeah. And um, yeah, sorry about the internet issues earlier. I, it seems to be better now that I switched over yeah. to the other one. Yeah. It is. Okay. See you guys All soon. Right. See you soon. Or see you next week. Bye. Bye.